and join me in the prayer for illumination. Almighty God, through the outpouring of your Holy Spirit, you reveal the way of eternal life to every race and nation. Pour out this gift anew that we might rightly proclaim the good news of the gospel and be ministers of reconciliation, that your salvation may reach to the ends of the earth through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. A reading from the book of Joshua, the fifth chapter, beginning at verse 9. The Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away from you the disgrace of Egypt, and so that place is called Gilgal to this day. While the Israelites were camped in Gilgal, they kept the Passover in the evening on the 14th day of the month in the plains of Jericho. On the day after the Passover, on that very day, they ate the produce of the land, unleavened cakes and parched grain. The manna ceased on the day they ate the produce of the land, and the Israelites no longer had manna. They ate the crops of the land of Canaan that year. Here ends the reading.
A reading from St. Paul's letter to the Corinthians, the fifth chapter, beginning at verse 16. From now on, therefore, we regard no one from a human point of view. Even though we once knew Christ from a human point of view, we know him no longer in that way. So if anyone is in Christ, there's a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. So we are ambassadors for Christ, since God is making his appeal through us. We entreat you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Here ends the reading. with me for the word of God. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, this fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country, and there he squandered his property in dissolute living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired hands have bread enough 
and to spare. But here I am dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, quickly, bring out a robe, the best one. Put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Get the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now, his elder son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked what was going on. He replied, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has got him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him, but he answered his father, listen, For all these years, I have been working like a slave for you and have never disobeyed your command. Yet you have never even given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours comes back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you you killed the fatted calf for him. Then the father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. O Lord, thy word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Relationships. Relationships bring our life so much meaning, purpose, and value. Relationships with our buddies, our coworkers, our neighbors, our family. The relationships that we have with one another help us to appreciate what is so beautiful and marvelous about life. These relationships help us to forge through difficult times. And the parable that Jesus tells today uses the dynamic of father-son relationships in order to help us understand something bigger and more dynamic about living in God's kingdom here on earth. It's a parable that you've likely heard before, and I'm hopeful that you can hear it with fresh ears today. It's long, longer than most of Jesus' parables. Oftentimes, it's called the parable of the prodigal son. Many biblical commentators have suggested in recent years, maybe we ought to call it something different, more like the parable of the father and two sons. After all, when we read the whole thing, we can tell these three people, 
there's a lot going on here. There's something happening in this father-son relationship. You know, it's no mistake that some of the greatest movies of all time use father-son relationships as a vehicle to move along a story. The Godfather, Star Wars, The Lion King, the list goes on. Jesus is using the dynamic of father-son relationships to move along a bigger picture. And it's one that we need to listen to today because, let's face it, relationships are tough. Perhaps tougher than they've ever been. We, we long to have close, meaningful relationships, but sometimes they can be so difficult we may just want to go it alone. We can trick ourselves into thinking, you know what, life will be easier. I can just figure it out by myself. I'll just spend this time by myself. And so we hide. We think that we can go it alone. But God has created us to be in community with other people. And, and in these relationships, that's where life has its its meaning, its purpose, its value. It seems that in recent years, relationships have been a little bit more difficult to navigate. I think it's because so many situations have shifted right before our eyes, and we have very little control over it. It seems that institutions don't have the same standing they once did. Cultural mores that were firmly in place that helped us navigate relationships are being questioned, maybe even thrown out the window. And as a result, simple conversations that we have with people are incredibly tricky and thorny. Recently, I watched David Letterman's interview with Tina Fey on Netflix. Tina Fey is this brilliant comedy writer and actress she said, it seems like anywhere with anyone, conversations are like, are like landmine hapscotch. I think, I think we have this way of supposing that the ideas in our head, the ideas in our head are correct. Things that should be called opinion in our head, we count as facts. And we're reluctant to suppose that somebody else who has a different perspective than us might have something worthwhile to contribute. So as a result, we're so convinced that we're right about any sort of topic, idea. And when we encounter somebody who has a different perspective, we can't even be in the same room with them. A couple years ago in Ireland, a judge declared that the bread served at a Subway restaurant is not bread, but cake. Do you know why? Because the sugar content is too high. Too much sugar, you can't call that bread anymore. That's cake, they said. Now, some people eat a sub sandwich and they're eating this, they're looking at it. This isn't cake, this is bread. I tell you what, give me some frosting, I'll smather some on top, I'll settle it for us once and for all. 
But when you look at this loaf of bread, do you see cake or do you see bread? What's your perspective? How do you judge? How do you know what's right and what's wrong? Well, it's one thing to have a conversation with somebody about, you know, the frivolous things of life, but what about significant social matters like divorce, marriage, raising children, immigration, health care, energy? Can we have conversations with people? especially when we have a perspective that's different. It seems nowadays it's more difficult. Are people more open-minded back then than they are now? I don't think so. Were people more patient back then than they are now? I'm not convinced of that either. Were people more magnanimous and open to differences way back then? (laughs) Not so much. There's something that has happened within the social fabric of our lives that has made it awfully difficult for us to nourish meaningful relationships, especially when we recognize differences within our relationships. This father, he had these two sons. And one of the sons decided, Dad, I'm ready to leave. A little early for me, but I'm ready to get out of here. I want you to give me what I have rightfully coming to me. And the father gave his son what would eventually be coming to him, likely even more. And he took it, and he wasted it away, as the Bible says, in dissolute living. Now, we don't know exactly where he went or what he did, how he spent the money, Later on in the story, the other brother has a theory as to how he wasted it, but that's neither confirmed nor denied. The reality is, this younger son, he finds himself in a bad way. A famine comes over the land, and he is left with no other alternative but to tend to, of all animals, the least desirable, the most unholy animal of them all, pigs. In this Hebrew tradition, the idea of interacting with pigs is uncalled for. And here he is, life is so horrible. He said, I'm so hungry. I would go ahead and eat what even the pigs are eating. But then something happens. In the middle of this pit of despair, knowing full well how lowly he has devolved, he comes to his senses, and he realized how good he had it. He realized how loving and kind and gracious his father was, and he realizes, I need to go home. I'm wondering how many of us have done harm to relationships, and it's our own doing, We have no one else to blame. We did it. And how hesitant we are to come to our senses. That is reflected in this lyric from a Bruce Springsteen song titled One Step Up. The year was 1987. 
When I look at myself, I don't see the man I wanted to be. Somewhere along the line, I slipped off track. I'm caught moving one step up and two steps back. He decides to go home not knowing what he would find or who would find him. Remarkably, there's the father waiting. In my imagination, I'm imagining the father hopeful that his son would end up okay. Not knowing the meandering path he would eventually take, but holding out the sliver of possibility that his son, who has made so many bad choices in the past, will at least make one good choice and come home. And there's the father looking, looking. And off in the distance, he sees him. And as the son makes his way toward the home, the father, advanced in age, gathers every ounce of energy that he has, and he goes to his son. He meets them, gives them a big hug, welcomes him home, tells his servants, my son is home. Put the best coat on him, put a ring on his finger, put sandals on his feet, kill the fatted calf, we're going to throw a party. I thought he was dead, but he's alive. He was lost, but now he's found. And the party goes on. But don't forget, all this time, there was another son. And that other son had a different relationship with his father. This son supposed that he could earn his father's favor and approval by being dutiful, out in the fields, working, just like one of the hired hands. The son hears about the party going on, and he comes in, he says, hey, what's going on? Oh, didn't you hear? Your brother, he's home. Instead of the brother who had been home the whole time being excited to welcome back his brother, the caustic nature of his soul is revealed. Instead of being overjoyed with relief and love, resentment that had been boiling up inside of him bursts out. Hey, Dad. You didn't even give me a goat to have a party with my friends. And now here this son of yours is home and you go to all this trouble for him? Dad, don't you know, I've been like one of your hired workers this whole time. Dear friends, in my estimation, that line in the parable is one of the saddest lines in all of Jesus' teachings this son forgot who he was. He looked at his life and he regarded himself like one of the hired hands when he was one of the father's sons the whole time. I wonder, how do we forget who we are as God's beloved? Thinking that we can just be dutiful in our work and earn God's favor It's an amazing story. What ends up ruling the day is the father's love for both of his sons. The one who ran away and wasted and made horrible choices and, and, and did not live a moral life, but, but came home. 
and the son who was there the whole time, but grew bitter and resentful. Him too. You see, dear friends, the relationships that we have with each other, we have things that go haywire, conversations that are quite difficult. Ultimately, though, our relationships with each other are connected by the relationship that we have with God. Our Christian discipleship ought to be the focusing energy and power within our lives that gives our relationships with our buddies, our coworkers, our neighbors, and even our family, gives those relationships a trajectory, meaning, purpose, and value. We're connected together not because we agree on a punch list of topics, We're together in loving relationship because of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ, pouring out his grace upon us all. Back in the year 1741, John Wesley preached a sermon and then published it as a tract, passed it around. It was an interesting time in the growth of the Methodist movement because Methodism was spreading like wildfire as a renewal movement within the Church of England. And there were some confusing thoughts out there about what does it mean to be a Methodist. In his tract entitled The Character of a Methodist, here's what John Wesley wrote. The distinguishing marks of a Methodist are not his opinions of any sort, his assenting to this or that scheme of religion, his embracing any particular set of notions, his espousing the judgment of one man or another, are all quite wide of the point. He goes on to say what's at the heart of the matter is recognizing the authority of the Scripture as the inspired Word of God that provides for us the rule of faith and life and the primacy of Jesus Christ, God's divine presence here on earth for us. That's at the heart of the matter. That's who we are called to focus our lives around He goes on to say this, but as to all opinions which do not strike at the root of Christianity, we think and let think. Dear friends, is there space within your heart, in your mind, to think and to let others think? Is there space for that kind of difference, variation within your life. In the parable of the father with his two sons, the father, his embrace was for both of his boys. In the life of the church today, God's love is for all of us. And I mean all of us. May we be a church that can have a wide and full embrace of each other. Amen.